In a not-so-stable world, it is crucial to amplify the right message. At the Stream Grace Network, our goal is to do just that. We are adding to our stable of podcasters every month, and we are growing. This is where you come in. We want to share in that growth. If you are a small business owner looking to grow your business, we'd love it if you'd consider allowing one of our podcasters to endorse you, your products, or services. The best part is that endorsement will never stop running in any episode it is a part of, ever. This is a unique and rare benefit in digital advertising. We want everything we do to be uplifting and to encourage positive growth. And we'd love to partner with you. For more information, visit us online at StreamGrace.com or email us at support at StreamGrace.com. God bless. You're listening to the Stream Grace Network. Thanks for joining us on the Renewed You podcast. We're here to help you discover how mental, physical, and spiritual health combine to help you live your best life. We want to give you hope, tools, and encouragement because the world needs a renewed you. Now, here's your host, John Yule. Hey, good afternoon. So glad that you're with us on the Renewed You podcast. This podcast is designed to help you learn how through mental health, spiritual health, and physical health, you can live the life you've always wanted to live. Now, today's episode is sponsored by the number one. That's right, the number one, because every number after one wants to be one, but it can only be number two because there's only one number one. And so this is the first episode, and today my guest is a friend of mine. He's actually a relative, uh, but a great friend of mine, and his name is Chris Drake. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me on your show this morning. Dude, it's an honor to have you, man. First, first one, so we're kind of breaking the ice together, and um, so I'm glad that you were able to do this with me. Um, now we've known each other like our whole lives. Um, I grew up riding on your dad's bike, (laughs) riding around with your dad and uh, Ron Drake. So those are some great memories. And, um, just give me a snapshot of kind of what's, what's been going on in your life. Um, just, just give me a, a clue in to what's been up. Well, uh, God's mercy and grace have completely changed everything in my life. Um, for those of you that don't know, obviously no one knows at this point, but, um, I struggled with addiction. I was an IV heroin, methamphetamine abuse, uh, user for a long time. Um, I've, um, luckily been able to be blessed enough to survive that lifestyle, um, through all of the twists and turns that it uh, presented. And now I'm can gladly say that I've got 16 months of sobriety for the first time in close to 20 years. Come on, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty seriously. It's pretty spectacular, and um, I've been afforded an opportunity to go to work in the same ministry that helped uh, revamp and change my life. So I'm stoked about that. You know, I am too. And we're going to dive into that ministry here in just a little bit. Um, let me ask you a question: What do you think about all the craziness going on in the world right now? Um, full disclosure: I think it's just uh, smoke and mirrors. I think that it's it's a deceptive tactic, but I, it's trying to draw your focus from what's important. And um, I really try to refrain from getting too um, engulfed into it. I have focus that I, I tend to um, direct my focus to things that are at this point far more important to me than the coronavirus. <laughs> 
the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. coronavirus and all of the turmoil, the Black Lives Matter, all of those things that have that have um, gained ground and become a focal point of society is something that I just think is is not worth my time or my investment. So totally understand. I think that some people they get sidetracked with stuff like that when they don't really have a sense of purpose and direction for their life. So they just kind of get tossed around and blown from one issue to the next issue to the next. And do you think that sometimes when you have a focus for your life and you kind of know why you're here? And I, I think for some people listening to this podcast, that's going to be a question we're going to try to help you and help you identify yeah. is that everybody needs to figure out what is my purpose on this planet and why am I here? Well, and I think the purpose and the identity coincide with each other. So once you've understood what your identity is and that helps define what your purpose is, and once you understand both of those things, and absolutely focuses the third aspect of that entire um, that entire diagram. Totally. Well, outside of that, um, are you still uh, into sports at all? Do you what? Come well, on, are you still a Sooner fan? After oh, the way? Are, absolutely. Are you starting yeah, this year? Of course. <laughs> I mean, look, I've been a Sooner fan. I bleed crimson and cream. I have my whole life. Nothing's going to ever change that. I'm, I'm pulling for them tomorrow. It's LU Texas weekend, so I'm stoked about watching the game. I'll actually be in Texas. So. Um, uh, or I mean, on Saturday, so that uh, that that's gonna be fun. I'm gonna be down there enjoying it with some buddies of mine that live in Texas. So um, it's definitely gonna be a house divided. Yeah, but it's definitely um, it's definitely worth every aspect of it. As far as sports outside of like me personally, you know, I got paralyzed in 2010 from the waist down, and so my physical abilities are uh, significantly limited. Yeah, um, as it were. Um, but I still do enjoy the things that I as much as I can. I have sure. to be mindful and understand what my limitations are so that I don't possibly re revisit that terrible <laughs> time of life. It's it's difficult to uh, not be able to walk, and it's definitely a difficult sure. task to try to overcome that. So I don't ever want to have to revisit that if I, I can avoid it. Well, those of you that are listening today, um, obviously, when we are recording this, the OU Texas game of 2020 has not occurred yet. So we're just going to preemptively say boomer sooner and um, just hope that they win. Amen. Uh, if they if they don't win, we'll just go ahead and say boomer sooner and we'll get you next year. OK, but either way, <laughs> Sooners are are uh, definitely uh, in our family and we all bleed crimson and cream one more time. Our idea behind this podcast is to present conversations and stories that can help you get well, find your purpose, and renew your life. So, Chris, why don't you begin at the beginning? Okay, so um, as a child, I grew up in the church. Um, I have uh, my cousin sitting across from me who was a youth pastor of mine. His father was my senior pastor growing up throughout my life my dad played the drums taught me how to play the drums uh played the drums in in uh, my youth group and um, um as far as uh, spiritual well-being i was 13 years old the first time i got slayed in the holy spirit out at the iphc heartland conference campgrounds here in mm-hmm. oklahoma city and it was an experience that um kind of was a defining moment so to speak at that point in time in my life it it uh, propelled me forward it um it did give me a sense of purpose and understanding of what God was outside of the childhood stories that I had I had learned and that I had drawn drawn near and dear to my heart over the years. And uh, so, as you know, I became more involved with church uh, musically. Um, we built a, a youth facility together. Uh, we built a church together. We transferred from one part of the city to the other together, <laughs> and uh, the journey was done together. And I think that was the the significant aspect of it. It was the 
the camaraderie, the team aspect, the fact that uh, as a whole, the church body is much more uh, powerful together than it is when it's divided. And so as that went on, things occurred, um, and I walked away from that environment um, for the stupidest of reasons. How um, stupid? How well, stupid? Yeah, what started your turn away um, from God, if you could identify? What, what was it? Well, it wasn't really the turn away from God. It was just a turn away from our church. That was really what happened. Okay. And it was a disagreement over, golly, I really can't remember, petty in, petty information or miscommunication. Um, actually, total honesty, between you and I. Mm-hmm. And um, that just was something that at that point in time I thought was so significant in my life. And, and truth be told, John, that was because of the... Um, how I viewed you. I looked up to you. You were my cousin. You were in a a position of leadership. And so when we had our disagreements, then um, I took it at that point as an offense when truly the problem wasn't the disagreement. The problem was with me. And so once I understood that later on in time, and it didn't pull me away from church entirely. Let's, let's make sure we clarify that. Sure. Um, So I started attending a different church. You know, I went to private school where Mm -hmm. you're actually involved with now, which is crazy. That's full circle. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Um, But uh, anyway, so, um, you know, I met my my soon-to-be future wife over there. So I yeah. attended Victory Church in North Oklahoma City for throughout the rest of high school and actually most of college and into my marriage. Um, but I did become distant from what I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. It um, it did cause a division. I quit playing. I quit being involved in music. I quit, um, I quit being involved with literally every aspect of church because there was a point in time in our life, as you know, that I was involved with Sunday service from the time the doors opened till the time right. the doors closed. And uh, that wasn't because I was forced. It's because I wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when I walked away from that, there was a void. Um, and anybody that's ever been through anything in life understands that when there's a void that's created, the void has to be filled in one way, shape, form, or another. Right. Um, my decisions and my demise led to the downfall of me. And it was solely my choice to pursue a lifestyle um, of addiction and the lifestyle that comes along with it, which is addicting in itself. Um, and that was really just um, an aspect of me choosing to, instead of deal with the situations and confront them healthily in, in a healthy manner, right. uh, I just chose to subdue them, repress them, and uh, basically mask the emotional, spiritual, and physical trauma that, that came along with it. Um, unbeknownst to me at the time, I didn't know that what the path that I had begun to venture down was going to be uh, the path that it turned into. Um, so I, uh, walked away from church for a long time. I was the, um, what we call the once a year Christian. <laughs> I would show up on Easter, Easter Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And in all this, in full disclosure, uh, I was normally high when I was there and, uh, well, let's, I'd, let's go there for a minute. Sure. What, what was it? So obviously you've already told everyone that you, you got into drugs. Yeah, so, uh, what, what was the reason? What, what was that to, were you masking pain? Were you trying to get away from things? What caused you initially to, to walk down that road? So to answer your question, yes, to all things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the truth of it. Uh, honestly, man, I was a, I was an athlete in high school. I was, um, uh, I was a popular kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, in a relationship with what most people at that time considered to be the best looking girl in the school. So that all-American quote-unquote dream or picture of what uh, your high school uh, years are supposed to be, I was living that. 
and um, my closest buddies and I, we built race cars and we went to drag strips and we went to mud bogs and I went hunting and well, all those things are associated around alcohol. Um, so and, alcohol was probably the first drug that, that you ventured. Is, um, that, is that what you're saying? It was the one that I probably, yeah, it was the one I began on. Um, and it wasn't a, a regular thing. I was a weekend warrior. You know, we'd after a football game Friday night, we'd go uh, to somebody's house and, you know, we'd get a 30 pack. And the next thing you know, it's Saturday morning and you're sweating it out of practice, yeah. wishing you'd have never done that <laughs> and saying, I'll never drink again. And then the next weekend you're doing the same thing. Right. So what started out as um, something that I felt was insignificant uh, at the time actually turned out to be a very significant um, player in, in that entire situation. And it went from alcohol to prescription pills. Uh, I actually got my pill, pill education, pill education is what I call it, um, from my grandmother and grandfather's medicine cabinet, from Orville and Myrna's medicine mm-hmm. cabinet. And uh, that's because I was I was trusted in that environment. Um, I had free reign and access to everything uh, Drake family related. So uh, I started experimenting, and then I found that there was an ability to profit off of what they didn't realize was missing. And that's when things started to really take a turn. Um, I guess let's back up. I started smoking weed in junior high. There we go. Okay. Yeah, let's get all the way back. Now, I, I seem to, I sometimes seem to forget that because I realize that. Uh, well, you know, it's just weed. Was, I mean, yeah. it's legal now. It's not that big of a deal, Everybody's right? Smoking Everybody's it, right? smoking. Everybody's smoking. Well, and you know, you don't think about it because if you, it, and I know this is going to sound almost, um, it's going to be a contradictive statement, but when I think of narcotic abuse, I think of, uh, a harder level of narcotic abuse sure. because that's what I dove to and eventually achieved. But it's, that's true. Marijuana was the first one. So let's back up. So yeah, I got kicked out of school in eighth grade, um, for, uh, uh, drug paraphernalia possession. Um, went back to school, uh, ninth grade and more schools. And I got kicked out again in ninth grade, uh, halfway, well, just two weeks after Christmas break, I believe. And I uh, wasn't allowed to come back to more schools. And that's how the private school journey began. But so marijuana was actually, I guess, the first thing. And that was just a simple fact that everybody around me was doing it. And whether it was positive or negative peer pressure or the the uh, pursuit to just fit in, um, we just all did it. It was, it was a daily thing. After school, go smoke. After before school, you just smoke, whatever. It just it was always it was always there. It was prevalent. And it was the only thing around at the time. So. Uh, so I guess that was really the starting point. Then I went to alcohol, then to prescription pills. And then, um, truth be told, I really kind of, I, I almost became what, um, people consider to be a functioning addict. Um, there wasn't a lot of people that knew what I was really doing for an extremely long period of time. Mm-hmm. I like to try to credit myself for being very good at hiding it. And the truth <laughs> of the matter is I was probably terrible at hiding it. Um, or actually I know I was terrible at hiding it as I went on, but for a long time, mom and dad, grandparents, my wife, uh, nobody knew what I was really doing. And, um, then I got hurt and, um, I came out of OU medical, a full blown opiate addict. Mm -hmm. I had enough narcotics pumped in me daily to put down, um, you know, a herd of horses (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, um, and honestly my pain management doctor was my best plug outside of the organization I was involved with. And, um, I had it at my disposal. It was free. I was getting, I was getting bought and paid for because of, um, the fact that I got, was injured at work and I took full advantage of it. I didn't think I had a problem. 
Um, I actually came to the. No, wait a minute. You didn't think you I had didn't a problem? I didn't think I had a problem. No. Um, because, look, I, I was able to justify right. the fact that physically I had been through such a traumatic experience that based on the pain, the back surgery, the neuropathy in my legs, and all of the other bodily injuries that I've occurred, which is an extensive list, um, I wasn't able to physically function from the time I got up to the time I went to bed without some aspect of right. pain. Uh, that remains current to this day. I'm sitting here in the chair and my lower back's been yeah. fired up all day long. That's just something now I've come to understand I just have to deal with. Um, but I had justified in my mind that without the ability to consume those pain medications, then I was unable to physically move around and be a beneficial member of society or my definition of a beneficial member of society. At that but point I think this is, this, is a, this is good because from the standpoint as we're talking about addiction, I think people have to understand that addiction is an umbrella mm-hmm. that all other addictions fall under. It's not like drugs and then there's an addiction to drugs or alcohol and there's an addiction to alcohol or negative mental attitude. Yeah. All of it is an addiction. Mm-hmm. And most everybody that I've dealt with, I mean, I've come through my own addiction in my own life, um, but everybody at some point thinks they don't have a problem. Well, yeah. And I think that the definition of the problem varies from person to person, like you were totally. saying. So uh, just to, to play a piggyback off of the umbrella theory, um, I think that's extremely accurate because what people fail to realize is that addiction doesn't have to be detrimental by chemical or physical or mental. Addiction can just be something as simple as, uh, I don't, I can't make it to work until I stop by Starbucks exactly. or I have to have a Coke at lunch to get through the afternoon or my nightly nightcap is chamomile tea or I bite my fingernails from sunup to sundown. Those are addictive tendencies. Mm-hmm. It's a mentality that's formed that makes you feel like you're incapable of pursuing any aspect of life without that being a part of it. So when you look at it that way and you do dive to a little bit deeper level of that understanding, then addiction really becomes a very broad topic, a broad spectrum. And it, when you think of it in that way and you look at our culture right now from my vantage point, and I think anybody that comes, we also have to understand when we come out of something, it changes how we view everything. Absolutely. I cannot view the world now through any other lens other than the experiences that I've come through. And you're probably the same way. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the world, I see where almost everybody is addicted to something. Mm -hmm. Um, But we, we view them on levels. Okay. Well, there's alcohol addiction. Then there's opioid. Then there's meth. And, yeah. you know, but really any addiction that robs us of the freedom of our choices. Yeah. And so to, to back up what you're saying. So I was in a meeting, um, last week and, um, one of the comments that was made to me was, I don't understand these people because they claim to be that their addiction is overeating. That, that doesn't seem like anything in comparison to what I've dealt with. And I said, well, it's just as debilitating to them mm-hmm. and to their life and to their loved ones as your chemical addiction to methamphetamines. Mm-hmm. Right. So the scale doesn't lean one way or the other based on what the form of addiction is. But you have to just understand that what they're going through in their mind and in their lifestyle is just as significant and debilitating as it was in yours. That is totally true. Yeah. In the area of health, uh, for those of you that are listening who maybe right now you're thinking, well, guys, come on. I don't have, I don't have addiction, an addiction in my life. Um, in the area of health, do you know what the, what from the physical side, I'm into physical training. The number one drug is in America, okay. sugar, sugar, hmm. We are so addicted to sugar 
and don't understand what that sugar, how it affects the insulin level in the blood and how that rise and spike of the insulin level causes you to gain weight and, and live unhealthy. But if we would just cut out a lot of the, the sugar in our diets, people would lose weight just mm-hmm. from that issue alone. My point is, again, it's that level that we think in our mind, well, this isn't that big of a deal. And I'm sure I know I thought this and I'm sure you did too. When I came through my issue, um, I thought, well, I can stop this at any time. Absolutely. But you really can't. You can't. Mm -mm. And the more that I would have those thoughts in my head and then not follow through with it, I'm just reinforcing that addictive habit as a controlling factor in my life. Well, absolutely. And, and when you, and and I, I experienced this personally where the more effort that I put into trying to stop the less, less effort actually was applied. Now say that again, everybody needs to hear that. So the more effort I put into trying to stop the actually the less amount of effort I put in to quitting to quitting mm-hmm. because it regardless of what anybody has to say, my mind will never be changed that it does become um, so the desire it becomes a second nature. It's a behavioral aspect that um, that you have ingrained into your daily routine. And what I mean by that is this. So, there was a time in my addiction where before I could even get out of bed to go to the bathroom in the morning, I had to get high. Hmm. Right, that's how bad I had gotten to at a certain point. And people think, well, golly, how much drugs were you doing? I was doing a whole lot. So uh, <laughs> let's clear that up. But um, I literally couldn't get out of bed and walk to the bathroom before I would do a shot of heroin. Man, that's how, yeah, that's how debilitated I had become physically. So the chemical dependency on that. And so I knew that if I attempted to try and do that, I'd make it about to sitting up in the bed and then I'd be like, nope, that's too much effort. And yeah. this is so much easier because as soon as this happens, the rest of my day, I can start moving around. I can get up and I can quote unquote accomplish tasks. Right. I can be what I defined as productive, which was basically just involved in a lifestyle to the depths of it. And so, yeah, it becomes debilitating completely. And that does the crosses crosses the, the the plane of everything. So addiction is a coexisting aspect of life. When it really you're is in addiction. It really is. Um, and when you're addicted, see, we think. Don't you think that most addicts compartmentalize things and don't realize how that addiction really is affecting every other aspect, every other relationship in their life? Surely. This wound up affecting your home life. Oh, of course. I think it's compartmentalized, and I think it's also just completely and utterly ignored. Ignored in what way? Ignored in the way that, um, going back to focus, so it you become so focused on uh, acquiring uh, the substance of choice that there is nothing that's going to stand in your way. It doesn't matter how significant the individual is in your life. It doesn't matter if the person is you've never met in your life. It doesn't matter what obstacle you're facing to over or you have to overcome in order to acquire said substance. You're going to, by any means necessary, do whatever it takes at all costs to acquire that once it's become that prevalent in your life. Mm-hmm. So um, you completely ignore and you rationalize and then you justify and then you accept that that behavior that before this addiction started was completely and totally, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was it was a behavior that you would not even for a million years think you were capable of of taking place or being a part of, and it mm-hmm. becomes a natural aspect of your life. 
Did you ever get to a place, Chris, where you looked at yourself and wondered who you were? How did you get here? How did you, yes. how did you become this person? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that there are listeners that can identify with that. Maybe they haven't been on drugs, but like we're going to talk about throughout the, this podcast, as we continue to go forward, there are so many ways that we all get addicted mentally. Mm-hmm. We get addicted with negative mental attitudes towards ourselves mm-hmm. to where we can literally destroy ourselves by our own thoughts. Yeah. We get addicted um, uh, through uh, things like pornography and what it does to your brain, which is very similar to heroin. Mm-hmm. It affects the, the, the hypothalamus in the same way. Um, so the addiction thing is so, so broad, but how, how did it affect your closest relationships? It destroyed them. In completely. what ways? Go into that for just a minute. Sure. Uh, so when I say when I say destroy, I know that's a that that kind of leaves it open for interpretation. But when I say it destroyed them, it literally took everything near and dear to my heart and completely removed it from my life. Um, like I said earlier, I had full reign of anything that was Drake related, um, as far as properties, vehicles, money, whatever the case may be, and um, it got to where I couldn't even. I wasn't even allowed into houses without supervision. Wow. Yeah. I didn't have keys. I didn't have codes. I wasn't even allowed internet, like Wi-Fi passwords. So you literally lost all trust. All of it. Absolutely. Nobody trusted you, even your parents, those closest to you. Yeah. Not one, not one bit. Not as far as they could throw me. And and even though I was uh, in a state of uh, completely uh, unhealthy lifestyle, they couldn't have thrown me very far still. And yeah, there was no way, shape or form that, um, that I was going to get anything out of them. Yeah. So, you know, short of, Hey, I haven't eaten in a week. Yeah. Um, which wasn't an uncommon thing at my part in my addiction. Um, but, um, yeah, short of that, Hey, will you get, they would never exchange funds. It was always, Oh, I'll buy you what you need because let's be honest, 99.9% of the time, if they gave any type of a financial assistance, like money changed hands, that money wasn't going to go to food. That was going to go to feed the addiction. And, that was just how it had become in my life. Well, let's hit the, let's hit the rock bottom. Sure. Where, what caused you or how would you describe your rock bottom experience where that, that thing that became the pivot point, like you had to go through it, but it Mm -hmm. became the pivot point to where you were at least open to begin being open to a change in your life. Well, so I continued to get arrested. I had gotten so involved and so deep and so active in that lifestyle to where I was unable to actually go places without being um, approached by uh, individuals in that lifestyle uh, to acquire whatever they needed to acquire. And um, it had gotten me to a point to where I was involved in some substantial criminal activity. Um, I hurt a lot of people um, physically, mentally, Um and I had, I had developed a sense of a false sense of power and control because of what I had become in this lifestyle. And so I had gotten arrested in 2019 the, on my birthday, actually, at a casino here in Oklahoma City. And I spent a couple of days in McLean County, Cleveland County. And then I was released on bond. And uh, I think it was six weeks later, I got arrested again. And I was in jail for a few weeks waiting on um, sentencing, and then I was released for time served. And then I got arrested literally like two weeks later. And I had actually ran from the cops in Edmond, Oklahoma. Um, And they ended up finding me about a mile and a half from where everything originally started. And um, I had a bit, I I didn't, I don't know why I even ran really, other than the fact that in the back of my mind, I was pretty certain I had a bench worn out. And, um, 
that was all the reason I needed to, to run. So I got arrested again and I got put in Oklahoma County jail. Uh, I caught new charges. Um, and, uh, I was sitting in my jail cell and lo and behold, and I broke my foot and I had broke my foot at the time. So I was on a medical pod at the time or medical floor, um, at Oklahoma County jail. And lo and behold, somebody that I associated with from the outside world, um, he was a, a ranking member of a neighborhood crip gang from the Highlands. And he, uh, uh, he shows up in my cell and I'm like, holy cow. And so at this point in time, we're doing what everybody does that either hasn't seen each other or interacts. And we're just exchanging stories and talking about things. And, and, uh, at this point in time, I had been shot for the, um, the second time. And, uh, this, this gentleman had also, he had had actually had nine bullet holes in his body, um, from various occurrences. So we were, we were showing scars and telling stories about how things had happened. And then something clicked. It was like, why am I? Why am I glorifying this? What 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 about any of this information that's being exchanged is beneficial to either party or to my life or to anything in the last 20 years of my life? And so I crawled back in my rack and was laying there thinking, and so, okay, this, it's over with. This is enough. I've been arrested three times in four months, and I've got a rap sheet on in multiple counties, and I'm, this isn't going to, I'm going to end up jails, prisons, or institutions. I had already been in jails and institutions, so prison was the next, was the next level, uh, or death. And I had actually overcome that uh, a few times anyways throughout my addiction, but nonetheless, um, so I got up. And uh, I called my father. I said, look, Dad, there's a state-ran facility out at Lake Thunderbird. Can you get me in? And uh, he said, I'll see what I can do. I said, I'll call you back in two days. And at this point in time, I had I had ventured to where I was um, uh, maybe two weeks away from sentencing, and, and I knew I was going to get released and so on and so forth. And uh, <clears throat> so I called my dad back in two days, and he says, hey, um, I talked to your Uncle Randall. Um so there's a ministry that uh, he can get you involved with because he's friends with the um, two individuals that have started it and run it. And I'm like, okay, let's get it done. I'll go anywhere but Texas. <laughs> so he's like, okay, well, I'll see what I can do. I was like, Spoken okay. like a true Sooner fan. Amen, brother. So uh, I waited two days. So uh, I called my dad back again, and he said, hey, um, I was at church on Sunday, and I was having a conversation with uh, Ori Flint. And uh, for uh, those of you who don't know, that's a good friend of both uh, John and I's, and he, he does prison ministry at the time and him and his wife both do and uh he said he'd like to come talk to you would you let him come talk to you and i said sure and uh so he came to the to this to the jail and we went into a common area and we talked for about an hour and uh, we were talking about jesus of course and he said well are you, are you tired i said i'm so tired i'm so tired it's not working out and uh he said well are you ready to change i said absolutely i am so uh, as we continued to talk, I went through a rededication prayer, rededicated my life back to Christ. And um, from that moment forward, there was something inside of me that changed. Now, I'm not going to tell you it was all, you know, bells and whistles and lights and sirens because I went back out again after that when I got released. All right? And uh, was actually scheduled to go somewhere and didn't and just avoided it entirely. And... um I remember that time. Yeah. And uh, cuz we didn't know where you were, we couldn't find you. Mm-hmm. Um, I was good at disappearing. Yeah. And uh, cuz I think it was going to be in Tennessee, wasn't it? Yeah, I was going to go to Waverly, Tennessee. And um you know, if you're listening today and and uh again, we're not we're not trying to say that one addiction is worse than another cuz mental health, mental addiction 
uh, is is horrible. I mean, you can destroy your life that way. Um, physic being addicted uh, physically that causes you to be overweight, man, that that can destroy your life. And of course, anything. Uh, spiritual everything really is spiritually related i think that's one of the mistakes that we've made in uh, the world especially in the church is this idea that there are certain things that are sacred and there are certain things that are secular when in reality from god's vantage point everything has a spiritual component attached to it and so maybe for you you've thought well i've gone to church or i've prayed that prayer or whatever and nothing really changed well that's not totally true because just listening to Chris, he prays a prayer. He knew something was different, yet he still, you still had this period where um, that that habit, those mm-hmm. addictive behaviors were still a stronger drive in you than even what was seated in you that day exactly. in, in the jail. And um, But there is hope for every single addiction. And the ministry that you got tied into is actually called Hope Ministries. Yes, it is. Um, take five minutes give me a five minute commercial on hope ministries and then we'll dive into how they helped you okay so sure so hope center ministries is a discipleship program it's a faith-based rehabilitation program that uh in all truth and honesty people enter into the program with the mentality that i'm here to achieve sobriety what actually in turn happens is they find a relationship with god and sobriety becomes a byproduct right so it's a reinvention it's a reinvigoration of, of a lifestyle that we have as addicts um, in any way, shape, or form have completely walked away from. It's fallen to the wayside. So uh, it brings in a re-implement structure, scheduling, the understanding of the importance. So wise is a man who numbers his days and gives thoughts to his ways. Um, so time is our most valuable asset. It's the one that we can never replenish. So um, what happens is when, when you come into the program, um, you are introduced into obviously um, – the beginning stages of the aspect of uh, a new Christian. Um, the opportunities are presented to you um, to give your life to Christ, to go through water baptism, and understand the significance of both of those things. Um, but what it is is it's teaching you to build a foundation that is based on the only aspect of life that's gonna re- that can actually bring you through recovery, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you learn that, and you build that foundation for 45 days. Then you begin to go into a, a quote-unquote work aspect of the program. So it's teaching you how to balance life on life's terms, a career, responsibilities within a home, while you continue to remain focused on God in the beginning. And then as you move through it farther, you start to, to gain the aspect of, uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm gaining financial stability. I'm understanding I'm going through uh, Dave Ramsey's program, um, as far as to increase financial stability, because a lot of people don't understand how to how to manage money. I was one of those people as well. I had so much of it on a regular basis that it didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it's teaching you how to, it's rebuilding you from the ground level up and reintroducing you into life and allowing God to be the focal point of your life and understanding that nothing else is going to be successful or achieved without him being your primary focus. And it has completely changed my life because of all the other times that I tried, I never tried it with God. I tried to do it by myself and I failed miserably. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you experienced at hope, um, there was mental counseling that, that, yes. that had to be applied. Yes. There was obviously a spiritual component and then they got physical from the standpoint of re- helping you rebuild your life exactly. from how how to be productive to 
you know, managing money, whatever. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that it really took all three of those to bring you back to who you are now. Yes, it did. And that's the whole idea of renewing. Yeah. Um, you know, I was talking with a buddy as we were kind of just dreaming and thinking about the term renewal. And um, one of my favorite pictures that I have is a 57 Chevy that was restored. <laughs> but do you know what makes that 57 Chevy be able to be called restored? means it still has old original parts. They just put new parts around it to bring it back to its original state. You still have all of the wounds, all of the scars from your former life. Yeah. You still have all your memories, Mm -hmm. but now those memories that are still there, the wounds that are still there because you've hit the mental, physical and spiritual, it's like this restoring of a 57 Chevy. Things have been placed around you to bring you back to a renewed life, a state of being able to function and actually live the life that God destined you to live the whole time. Absolutely. And as you've come through this, you mentioned earlier um, a scripture that's one of my favorite scriptures. It really is. It was one that, that God kind of laid on me about three years ago as I was coming through some stuff uh, in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's in Job. And I love it in the new living. It says this, you have decided the length of our days. You know how many months we have to live and we're not given a minute longer. And I took that and we say it this way. Every one of us, Chris, has an expiration date. The challenge is we don't know when that date is. Exactly. And when we live life in a um, prodigal way, the word prodigal means to live without restraints, to live with no no uh, framework in place. Then we're wasting all these days. It's like we know we're getting tomorrow. But when you come through something like what you've come through, or others that we're going to talk about through this podcast. It's actually coming through that that makes us understand, man, I don't have tomorrow guaranteed. I don't have the next hour guaranteed. So what can I do with the time that I do have to make the biggest impact and to live my life in the greatest way that I could? And I think that what you've come through and just sitting here listening to part of your story, I didn't even know until right now. Um. I'm proud of you. Well, thank you. I'm proud of you, man, because one of my friends asked me one time, he said, what was the name? Something that you wish you could have learned without going through the pain of it. And I told him, I said, you know, really, if we don't go through the pain of something, it's not worth learning it. It's the most painful things we go through that make the biggest impact on us because um, the pain that we endure actually begin becomes the fuel to help us change things in our life. So you get involved in hope. Hope begins to rebuild your life. Yes. Um, talk to me about that, that 12 month sober moment. Was that special for you? Man, it was, it was, uh, it was a surprise. Uh, so it was in the midst of COVID when I, when I reached 12 months of sobriety and, um, there were travel restrictions between Oklahoma and Texas. I was in, in Texas. My family's in Oklahoma. Uh, I knew the event was coming. Uh, one of the mentors in my life, I had told him um, off the rip from the very first day I met him, I said, you're going to give me my one-year chip, and I won't take it from anybody else. And he said, okay, well, when you get there, I'll give it to you. I said, all right. So we reached that point, and, uh, and lo and behold, it's on a Friday evening, or I'm sorry, a Monday evening. Uh, we're going fixing to go as a group to celebrate recovery. And... 
I was involved in Celebrate Recovery Leadership, and at this point it was a, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be involved in this night because this night is something that um, I want somebody else to be involved. I want to just be a participant and not uh, on, on leadership. And um, so uh, I get a phone call at about 4.30, 4.45 that afternoon, and it's my brother. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, uh, trying to get stuff done. I said, you know, this is my busiest day of the week. And uh, he goes, well, uh, where are you at? And I said, well, I'm at the house. And he said, okay. And as I got off the phone with him, it registered that, number one, he doesn't call me and ask me those questions when he knows, well, where I am. Mm-hmm. I look up, and they're pulling in the driveway. So my mom, my dad, and my brother showed up. Uh, we went out to have dinner. Uh, they attended the service. And, uh, man, it was uh, it was mind-blowing, the experience, uh, the atmosphere. It was electric. Um you know, people that are in addiction that see those chains being broken day in and day out, they celebrate in your successes and they pick you up amongst your amidst your failures as well. And uh, celebrate recovery for us was anywhere between 100 to 150 people weekly were in the uh, attending audience, and uh, it was so packed this night that I had to sit on the very back row. Normally, I was on stage in in some aspect or another, so I'm at the back and just like, wow, it's grown. This is awesome. And I'm sitting next to my mom and my dad. And uh, when we get to that that point of the uh, service, um, my one of my mentors walks up on stage to take over, and uh, he's you know gives this is extremely special to me. This young man has has come in and, and changed the game, and he's he's about what he's a, what he's trying to do. And it's been awesome to watch him you know grow and learn and become the leader that he has amongst the organization and within the church as well. And uh, so, is there anybody here? by the name of Chris that has, has, has one year of sobriety. And, uh, so I stood up and the place erupted and, um, my dad ran down the aisle behind me, giving the old, you know, pump fist. Uh, my mom's in tears. Uh, my brother has got a smile from ear to ear, which for those of you that don't know is a difficult task to achieve sometimes. Um, but not just within my family, but the people that I had, that I had come full circle with, Mm-hmm. that familial aspect of recovery is something that people that haven't experienced it need to most definitely because we're all just mere reflections of each other in different physical form. That's all that addiction is in its entirety. And once you can understand that and once you can sit across the table as I am from you right now and realize that your struggles and mine are the same, they are the same. And that the change that we've been set free from, we can bind those chains of addiction with. And you realize that it wasn't by your own works. Mm -hmm. It was truly by God working through you, around you, as a team. I used to think of it in singular form. That I mentality, I'm doing this. But I think that's a mistake a lot of people make. Is because we think that we got ourselves into it, we can get ourselves out of it. When in reality, for most of the people that I've come in contact with, they never get themselves into it. There's always been some other painful issue, experience done to them or at them or spoken to them. There's always an other person that really was the precipice for them going into that addictive behavior. But if, if, so if we can realize we don't go into something really on our own, then the best thing that we could ever do is to come to a place where um, our pride is broken because that has to happen until our pride is broken. We're never going to be open and real with somebody else. True. Um, And we allow other people to get into our lives in the dirtiest part of it. 
and let them help walk us out of it. And, um, I mean, that's really what hope ministries provided for you. Yes, it is. And now you've come through your 12 month and now you're in Oklahoma city. Yeah. Yeah. What in the world are you doing here? Well, okay. So, um, uh, like I said earlier, I've now um, eclipsed 16 months of sobriety. So the organization Hope Center Ministries loves to bring uh, what uh, our residents um, onto our team as employed staff members. So I was approached a little over a month and a half ago about coming to relocating back to Oklahoma City and opening the first Oklahoma City Men's Center. And uh, without hesitation, I was like, let's go get this done. Mm-hmm. Right, because I was involved with so much debauchery here that I wanted to impact it from a positive aspect. So um, about three weeks later, I left Texas and relocated out here to Oklahoma City, and we've started the first men's center for Hope Center Ministries in Oklahoma. And God has blessed it. He has blessed me, blessed mm-hmm. the guys that are there. Um, it's growing rapidly, and... Really, it's a historic aspect of things from a ministry standpoint. You know, are there treatment facilities in Oklahoma? Yes. Have I been to some? Yes. Is there a treatment facility like this in Oklahoma? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Right. So as we talked about those reintegration aspects of mental, physical, and spiritual health, right, that the program provides, um, it also promotes an environment of trust and family, which as from an addict's perspective, those things become non-existent or obsolete aspects of your life. Um, the term brotherhood is used. Mm-hmm. Um, do I like that term? Absolutely. Um, but the familial aspect of things that most addicts have become exempt from is reintroduced. Trust is given and built. Relationships are are formed. Identities are recognized that, and you, people understand that it's not, you're not defined by the past. You're defined by the present and where you're going to go with the gifts naturally that God has blessed you with. And so Hope Center Ministries has given me the opportunity to impact the lives of those around me, um, through Hope Center Ministries and the Compassion Church Network. And so, um, it has been a roller coaster ride of emotion, um, and excitement, um, and God continues to bless me at every turn. I've been offered a position. I, I was just offered a, the opportunity to, to relocate again mm-hmm. uh, within the ministry just last week. Uh, I declined it because I'm like, I just got back on my home turf and this is where I want to be. This is where God has me. He's brought me full circle back to an environment I never wanted to be a part of again, but um, from a different perspective. And so the infectious aspect of change It's just as infectious as the aspect of addiction. Yes, it is. Right. So if I can infect and impact change, then the addiction can become something that people do have the opportunity to overcome. And those that do know me from here, um, there's a gentleman in the facility currently that knows a lot about what I was involved with in that lifestyle. And he can't believe the fact of where I'm at currently. Mm-hmm. So by the blood of the lamb and the words of our testimony, right. All right. We have the ability to reach a city, change a nation and touch the world, but we have to do it together as a team. Right? You're right. And there is nothing like having someone close when, when you know you've come through change, but then that's one thing. 
But then when you have someone who also knew you, who comes to you and says, man, there's a major difference in you or, or, or whatever, man, it's like pouring gas on a fire because then it's not just me or you that realizes it. It's this really, I really am changed, you know, but if we, if we try to come out of our addictions alone, we're going to miss that aspect. Um, and it's really the changing of the friends from one season to the friends and relationships of another season. That's going to keep pulling you in the direction that you're going. I tell my kids all the time, um, your friends are so important because they tell more about where you're going than where you are. Absolutely. And so if you want to change your life, you got to change the people in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's just that that's a a fact. If you were talking to someone, let's hit these three real quick. If you were talking to someone today who is struggling with a, a poor mental they're, they're struggling in mental health. Um, what would be something you would encourage them with today? To, well, first of all, they have to talk about it. Um, acceptance is the first, the first, um, the first point to making any type of a change acceptance. And then you have to understand where you're at. Um, as an individual, you have to, um, pull yourself out of, a of a, a singular mentality, um, and understand that there's a group of people that you can confide in. So discussion, and open discussion, uh, transparency, those things are important because I promise you there's not one person sitting across from another that hasn't dealt with something similar, if not eidetic. But don't you think a lot of people think that their addiction is their addiction and nobody understands? Nobody understands how I'm thinking. No one understands how I'm feeling. No one understands anything about me. And so that's why I can't confide in someone. I do think that they believe that. The problem is the belief is incorrect. Is incorrect. But what you believe gives power. There's only, um, if you're listening today, we're coming, obviously, Chris and I, from a distinctly Christian perspective in this episode. So um, please understand from our vantage point, there's really only two realities according to the Bible. There's the reality of truth. And there's the reality of a lie. And Jesus said in John 18, I have come to testify to truth. I've come to show you what, what is true. Because when, when Jesus steps on the plane, steps on the playing field, everybody's confused about what is true. And he says, I've come to testify to it. And the opposite is a lie. Well, your belief causes one of those two to come to life. So the word stronghold is defined as a prisoner who is bound by deception. You bought a lie, but because you believe the lie, now that lie has power. Your belief determines which one is going to have power in your life. If you believe you're an, you're a bad person, if you believe no one can love you, if you believe that you've messed up uh, your life and it's ruined, then that's the course of your life that you've given power to. But if you will choose to change your belief system and believe I can overcome this, I can be helped. I can have authentic relationships. I can have people in my life that I can lay my, my dirt out and know that they're going to accept me and help me. Then you give power to that in your life. Yes. And so if you're listening today, that's really what we're trying to encourage you to do is be willing to make a shift in your belief system. I believe that real change comes through Christ. Um, but Even if you struggle in that regard, don't go through life alone. Get people in your life that can encourage you, speak life into you, help you overcome your addictions and overcome your negative mental states. Um, What about um, if you could say anything, 
We've got about five minutes. So if you could say anything, I'm going to be quiet. You've got the floor. Say anything you want to those that are listening today. Go. Okay. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove that which is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That that scripture alone is my life verse personally. There's so much that can be unpacked out of very few words. Um, as we've talked about the three aspects of addiction, the mental, the physical, and the spiritual, that verse um, is the umbrella verse for all of those things, for every aspect of addiction. Um the conformity to that addiction in your mind and in your body um, and in your life has become a controlling aspect of daily operations and function. The only way to break that cycle is to transform your mind, your way of thinking, your thought process. As John said, um, your words have power. Your beliefs have power. What you have the ability to speak into yourself will be exuded from you. And those that are around you um, that are healthy, that are concerned and genuinely care for your recovery and your well-being, those people speak life into you. Well, once life begins to regenerate through that transformation and that renewal of your mind, then all things at that point become possible. So for those people that are listening today, my advice is simply this. Don't allow the chains of your current situation or your current addiction to bind you and define you. Allow those chains um, to be broken and set free. It doesn't take disclosure from the very first day. All it takes is a single action, a single decision uh, to move forward and to find the ability to persevere, to gain strength. Walking into a room with people that are like-minded individuals is all of the effort that is required from the beginning to begin that transformation, that renewal process. So at that time in which you feel that you are at the lowest the breaking point, rock bottom, uh, however you want to define it, that is the time in which it's it, it's been destined for you to stand up. Life's not about how how hard you can get hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. We've all been knocked down. The difference in those of us that have made a choice to find an alternative to a lifestyle that was debilitating was we stood back up. We dusted ourselves back off. We change the people, we change the places, and we change the things in our life. And because of that, it renewed a strength and a drive and a power within us to change ourselves and all of those around us. Because regardless of what anybody wants to think, what you're doing as an individual and the testimony that has been written, that you're currently writing, that you will write, will speak volumes and helps pull somebody out of the depths of hell that is just like you. And that is a service that as individuals in a body of Christ and individuals uh, just as humans in general our nature is to try to help we're servants of the Lord we're servants of each other and the only way that we can can help is to teach and to show so take the lessons that you've learned reformulate them and teach somebody else how not to have to um, walk the same path or show them a way in which they can be removed from the path which they're currently walking on um, and knowledge is power, but knowledge is inadequate power if it's not passed along. And once it becomes passed along, it becomes wisdom. So take the wisdom and the knowledge that people that you do have and give it away to somebody. Otherwise, it's just empty words, empty thoughts in your head.
Amen. Hey, Chris, uh, if someone wanted to find out more about Hope Ministries, what website would they go to? So you can go to hopecm.com. Um, and once you go to Hope CM, uh, you can log on. You can look at a program overview. You can look at locations. Uh, it'll tell you about uh, the different programs that are offered, uh, what they entail, the durations. And uh, you can also click on a testimonial link um, so you get to see and, and, and read success stories and understand uh, that there is the ability to change and that there are people that are wanting to change. And uh, you can see where families have been um, um, have been reconciled. You can see where emotional, physical, and mental trauma have all been, um, have fallen to the wayside and strength has been regained. So go to hopecm.com, take a look at everything you can. Uh, there is a number on that website that links that will get you to um, an intake coordinator, admissions coordinator. And then at that point, you can start the process to try to um, begin you know, the next chapter in your life. And like I said earlier, that's the first step that's needed is just to actually understand that you can get help and that people do want to help you. So don't be hesitant to take that opportunity. If you're going to renew your life, you can't do it on your own. Amen. You got to have people in your life. Life's too short to walk alone. And especially in the season that we're in right now with COVID, where it seems like everybody is isolated. Um, and people are, are really dying for true connections. Um, if, if you are struggling in an area of chemical addiction, alcohol, drugs, whatever, I'm sitting here across the table from someone who this organization changed his life and there's help for you too. hope cm.com. There's also a donate button. Maybe you would just like to, to give and help hope ministries, uh, continue to expand across the country. Um, that would be a great way for you to do it as well, but we're glad that you were able to be here. Our first little podcast here is, uh, we're starting this venture together and, uh, I appreciate you and I'm thankful to have you in my life, man. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I'm glad to be a part of it. And it's nice to be able to sit across the table and discuss the issues that are the most uh, the most prevalent in our society today. So thank you again for this. I appreciate the time. No problem, man. Again, this was Chris Drake. You can find out more about him at HopeCM.com. And that is a wrap for our first episode of Renew You. We hope you enjoyed it today. Hope that something was spoken into your life that would help you to go on down the road because the world deserves the best version of you that God created you to be. Until next time, we'll see you later. God bless. Bye-bye.